Give your loved ones the gift of warmth and happiness with an original Miki Couture blanket. Whether you need a gift for your family, co-workers, or friends, they all need to stay warm and cozy this holiday season. Our incredibly soft blankets are the perfect gift to celebrate the holidays at any budget. Show them how much you care with a blanket from Miki Couture that will be remembered forever. Begin your holiday shopping at softminkyblankets.com or your nearest Miki location. This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone, athletes, celebs, and much more. Today's episode is brought to you by BUSR.com. You know, everyone always asks me where they should bet, and now I got a solution for them. BUSR.com slash Paul. You deposit $100, they'll match your $100 in free bets, so you basically get $200. Go check it out. BUSR.com slash Paul. What's up, everybody? I'm back for another episode of the Average Savage Podcast. Our special guest today is Josh Zed, two, 2020-2021 Olympian, I guess you'd say. I know it was a weird year since the pandemic. I know even the branding, like when I'm watching it, like the Olympics, I'm like, all right, this is kind of weird to keep on just saying 2020, even though we're in 2021. Uh, but yeah, just tell me, like, just like tell me what it was like how was it i know it was crazy over there with like obviously still like with all the pandemic rules and things like that and but like what was it like just yeah just go into it yeah so you know i'm a 34 year old four-year retired uh former major league baseball player and i i got an opportunity to play in the olympics which is pretty pretty ridiculous that that happened in the first place but yeah getting to go over to japan and play for the 2020 tokyo olympics in 2021 was pretty wild all the gear that i have and all, everything that i brought home was like tokyo 2020 and it's like oh but i'm a 2021 olympian it doesn't yeah. really make any sense yeah, but yeah, yeah. um i'll take it it's still an olympian um it was cool obviously uh, covid restrictions were like ridiculously tight while we were over there so the the atmosphere the environment everything was a little bit different no fans you know we all had to i mean if you saw anything on instagram every cafeteria seat had plastic partitions everyone was wearing masks everywhere um there was no common rooms to hang out in uh playing for the israeli delegation we had lots of security with us because of the world around us a lot of things that are happening in the last couple of years that you know we had to be extra cautious with but you know, it, it, being able to sit in the cafeteria right next to Novak Djokovic on one side and Luka Doncic on the other side, walking past the USA gymnastics teams, you know, in, in, in the cafeteria, the dining hall was pretty ridiculous. I mean, everything that you could hope for. Uh, the Olympic Village, 21 dorms, 11,000 athletes. It was crazy. Absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds awesome. All right. You got to you got to tell me. So were the were the beds made out of cardboard? The beds were absolutely 1 million percent made out of cardboard. Uh, they actually, they actually were comfortable. All right. The only issue was they gave everybody one pillow and I don't know about you, but I am a big time, like four pillow guy. I, yeah. I need to hold pillows. I need to, I need lots of like headrest for my, just to, to, to sleep on. So but I mean, everything was fine. The mattresses, I mean, it wasn't a king bed. It wasn't a memory foam mattress, but you know, it wasn't long enough. Maybe not, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> I can't, I couldn't imagine being like six foot 11 and having to lay in those beds or weigh yeah. more than two forty. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, for I, sure. I, I was okay. I, I didn't yeah. of all the things I could have complained about. I actually didn't really complain about the beds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. 
Um, and then just like getting to that, like when did, I know you retired uh, originally in 2018. Like what, what made you get back up and then start pitching again? The Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> um, like what gave uh, you like motivation to just like. Right. You know, Certainly. Yeah. It was hard. Um, so yeah. So I retired not because I wanted to, because I didn't really have any offers left. You know, I, I thought I still had a little bit of effort, energy left. I thought I still had some ability left, but you know, the game speaks for itself and I, I just didn't get another opportunity. And yeah, I've been a part of team Israel since 2012, 2011. And, you know, the Olympics had always been kind of on our radar, but basically in Olympic sports. So uh, by the time it actually became an Olympic sport was four years retired and they called him and I was like, Hey, I'll coach. So like, I'll do whatever we can to be a, to be a part of this team. And they're like, if you can still throw a baseball, we'd love to have you. And I was like, interesting. So I, I started training and, and, you know, I, I was, at, I went, you know, it was a whole year and a half worth of pandemic training. So I was training in my backyard with my two little kids watching me throw baseballs every day. They watched me go to the gym. They watched me work out in the house. I mean, I don't know if you could see me. I've got some of the gym equipment behind me now. You know, I've, I've, you know, they, they just kind of, they rooted me along as I train and, and, you know, some days it was harder than others, but you know, it was all worth it when I, I, you know, I posted it on Twitter when my kids, watched me pitch in the Olympics on TV and they went up to the TV and they were pointing like, that's my daddy. They woke up at three o'clock in the morning to watch the game. And it was just, they actually, I should pitch in three games. So they got to see me pitch a lot over the course of those five games, but um, yeah, doing it all for my kids, my family, uh, all the support. And, but yeah, you know, it's easy to want to say, I'll be an Olympian for sure. I'll come back. I'll work as hard as I can to to be able to say that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then what do do you think was the difference between, playing in the Olympics and playing in the world baseball classic. It's hard to say, especially with the environment of the pandemic with no fans, but the world baseball classic was definitely a more tense tournament. You know, we played in Korea against South Korea. We played in Japan against Japan in front of sellout crowds. So the environments were definitely more swayed to like, you know, anxiety, nerves in, in, in the World Baseball Classic. You know, we had players on our team who had never played in front of more than a thousand fans. And we had, but we also on our same team, we also had Sam Fold and Ike Davis who played in front of 45,000 in the playoffs, you know, so we had that, that, that good mix of players on that team. But the cool thing about the Olympics was there were no fans. So it was an even playing field, whether you had 20 years in the big leagues like Ian Kinsler, or I think he's 14 years in the big leagues like Ian Kinsler did, or, you know, our right fielder who has, you know, who was a college coach a couple of years ago who played, who's played minor league baseball for a long time. And he actually made the all Olympic baseball team, Mitch Glasser, like, you know, those guys, it was an even playing field. There was no nerves, no anxiety because of the loud fans, no booing, no cheering for the home teams. It was, you know, and, and that whether or not they made us play better or worse, like it doesn't really matter, but mm-hmm. you know, the environments were just so starkly different. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, but like as as a pitcher, you think it's easier to pitch in front of no fans? No, I need no? I need fans. I need <laughs> adrenaline. But I am actually also glad. I'm actually also glad that we didn't have any fans this go around because I don't know how. I, I worked. I trained really hard to come back and yeah. pitch in this event and pitch for the Olympics. But 
if there were 40,000 fans screaming and I was adrenaline junkie, I am an adrenaline junkie. And if I was, if I was listening to the fans screaming and cheering and rooting and booing against us, like I would have tried harder and harder and harder. And I don't know if I would have been able to bounce back as well, or I don't know if I would have been able to hold up my end of the bargain as well as I did. Cause with no fans and no adrenaline, I was able to actually go out there and pitch and, you know, be relatively successful and, and come back the next day and pitch again and come back the next day and pitch again. So it kind of worked out for me. <laughs> it kind of worked out for me in that sense. Yeah, for sure. All right. Now going, going back, um, <clears throat> you grew up in Connecticut. Um, you went to Ham, Hamden high. Um, Hamden Hall. What... I don't want to, I don't want to make oh, my Hamden sorry. Hall Hornets ang- <laughs> angry at me, you know, sorry. Hamden high. I'm at Hamden Hall. I keep on <laughs> Hamden Hall. Uh, and uh, what, what was your recruiting process like out, out of there? So, yeah. So th- this was back in 2004. Um, obviously there was no, social media wasn't as big of an influencer in, in getting my recruiting videos out. So we actually had to, to fly. My parents, my parents took me, I had pitching coaches and, and teams that I played for in New York and Long Island and Florida and, and Georgia. And, you know, we had to get out because, you know, people weren't flying up to Connecticut as often as they are now, or the Northeast as often as they are now, or they're not um, recruiting kids as easily from the Northeast as they can now with, you know, social media, Instagram and, and Twitter and, and, um, I don't know, TikTok, all those, all those things. But um, yeah, I mean, I just remember, you know, my, my, my junior year getting to go to, you know, showcases all over the country and, you know, performing and throwing hard. And, you know, I think my parents still have a bin in the house that has all the, the first round of college recruitment letters that I got. I still remember getting, you know, letters from Vanderbilt and University of Miami and LSU and thinking of the coolest things in the world when they're personalized messages and, um, but yeah, it, it was fun. It was cool. You know, got a lot of major league baseball teams came into my house and ran, uh, did testing with me. And, you know, we talked about the draft and talked about pro baseball and, you know, I'm glad I went to college. I met my wife, my freshman year of college. I, I'm glad I, I went through the ups and downs of the four years of college, but, you know, I don't know how pro ball would have gone as an 18 year old from Connecticut at, 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 for me, but yeah. It, it was crazy it, I, that time flew by I wish I had better prepared myself for college but no the, the recruiting process was a blast I, I went to the two, two of the best schools in the country so I, I got very lucky yeah so like going to Vanderbilt like what what made you pick Vanderbilt and like what what were your like final like three schools I'd say yeah so Vanderbilt was easy uh it was it actually wasn't one of the best schools in the country. I mean, academically, it had always been one of the best schools in the country. Yeah. But up until a few years, like a, maybe a year or two before we went, I went there, it hadn't been a baseball powerhouse. Um, you know, they brought in Tim Corbin, who was one of the best, who's one of the best baseball coaches in, in the, the country, whether it's college or pro, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pitching coach, great, Derek Johnson. Actually, so it was an easy pick. It was a, it was pretty much like a piggyback to Hamden Hall. So you know, just a private school, you know education came first sports was just equally as important though and um yeah so that was my number one and i actually got to go to my number one which doesn't very happen very often so that was that was fantastic and then duke you know north carolina university of florida all schools that were uh on on the top the top like echelon of the schools that i wanted to go to Mm -hmm. yeah for sure and were you there when david price was there I was. He was a sophomore when I was a freshman, and then obviously I was a sophomore when he got drafted as after his junior year. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's an awesome human, awesome human yeah. being. Yeah, that's awesome. And then what? What made you transfer? 
Yeah. So it happens. <laughs> I, I, I completely underperformed for my, my scholarship. Um, I was spinning my tires. I was trying to get better and things were getting worse. I was working too hard in school or not. And then I was ending up backing off of my work in school to try to get better in baseball and, and nothing just worked. And, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't necessarily want to transfer, but I wasn't going to have another opportunity to play baseball at Vanderbilt. So the coaching staff, you know, we, we talked through and they helped me transfer out. It wasn't my decision. They kind of, we, it was a, a, a community decision. I'm thankful that they allowed me that opportunity and they spoke highly of me throughout the recruiting process. It wasn't me leaving because I was not playing enough. It was I was leaving because they didn't think that I was getting better there and they wanted me to start over. And I was, I'm very appreciative of that. It was fantastic. And I still talk to the coaching staff to this day, which is, doesn't usually happen. So I feel very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome that they helped you like yeah. get to a new school. Yep. Um, and then it's like coming out of uh, Tulane, like what, what did you, what were your expectations for the draft? And then uh, you got drafted like 10th, 10th uh, round. Uh, like, was that like good for you or like, what were your thoughts? To, to have thrown 96 as a senior in high school, I threw hard. I was one of the top prospects in the country. So getting drafted high was an expectation for me. It didn't end up happening. I went to Vanderbilt, which I was very lucky for. And by the time I reached my senior year at college, I was no longer a top prospect. I was no longer someone who had uh, uh, a pedigree anymore. I was just a guy who kind of failed in college. So, you know, to get drafted, I actually felt pretty lucky. Uh, you know, my senior year of college, I started throwing hard again. I was competitive again, having a blast pitching for a team that kind of underperformed, but, you know, pitched a lot of good games, competitive games, um, pitched on some national stages and, you know, got drafted in the 10th round, but, you know, all you need is an opportunity. You know, I think at the time I was disappointed that I didn't get drafted higher, uh, kind of retrospectively, I, I should have been happy to have been drafted at all. So, you know, made the most out of it, you know, made it to the big leagues four years later, which, <laughs> yeah. doesn't usually happen for a guy who had such big highs and lows throughout my my collegiate career but even minor league career I guess but you know it was you know felt I was blessed and thankful that I got drafted obviously to the Phillies so yeah yeah for sure um yeah and then just tell me like what the I know the minor league experience is rough. Just tell me like what it was like and then just like grinding and then the bus rides and all that. And four years into it, you ultimately, ultimately make it to the majors. Yeah. My minor leagues is a grind. You know, I, I think, you know, when we, when I was coming up through college and high school, like we knew that the minor league life wasn't glamorous. You don't play professional baseball to play, to, to, to play in the minor leagues, to have a life that, you know, you can like live off of in the minor leagues. Like you're not going to play, 20 years of minor league baseball and be happy with it. Right. That's just yeah. not the goal. You're going to play a few years in the minor leagues. You're either going to succeed or you're not right. You're going to work your way up through the, you know, so when we had bus rides where the air conditioning on the bus broke and everyone was shirtless, we laughed about it. You know, like we, we laughed about yeah. it. Right. When we had buses, when we had, we stayed in hotels and, you know, Jamestown, New York and guys had sweatshirts and shirts and stuff stolen out of their hotel room. Like we kind of laughed it off. Like this is, you know, the, the things that, you know, you hear about these are the things that happen, you know, we, yeah, we complained a lot, but like, we also knew that some guys were only going to play one year, right? Some guys were going to play four years and five years. And if you wanted to play to you guys, the big leagues, you had to endure some of those, you know, issues. And do I understand that those aren't okay, right? 
having getting paid nothing, you know, having stuff stolen out of your, you know, cheap hotel room, uh, having a bus with no air conditioning, do those things? Absolutely. Is it awful? Absolutely. Right. But, you know, if you start, you know, my goal wasn't to play minor league baseball. My goal was to play major league baseball. And, yeah. you know, of course. And, and, you know, I was, but I, uh, but, 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 but I was very fortunate to have a supportive family, right? My mm -hmm. parents helped me, you know, if I needed 20 bucks for rent or I needed 30 bucks to help feed me for a week, like my parents would send it to me. No questions asked. You know, and I know a lot of kids don't have that luxury. I didn't get, I didn't get signed for a lot. I didn't get drafted. I didn't get paid a whole bunch of money. I think I got paid six grand, which is, which is great, but mm -hmm six grand is rent for a year, right? Like yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Like even 10, 15 years ago, that's still rent. That's rent for half a year. And, you know, I had a very supportive family, still do have a very supportive family. So I knew I got lucky and a lot of my teammates didn't have that support system. So, you know, they were grinding even harder than I was, but you know, it is a grind, right? It, it's a grind. Sometimes yeah. you don't have cleats to wear. Sometimes your glove is left in a different city. Sometimes, you know, there, sometimes you get to the hotel 10 o'clock in the morning and the your room's not ready for six hours and you got to sit in the hotel lobby for six hours. It happens. Like it's right. just... <laughs> yeah, for sure. What, what is it like just playing with like minor leaguers that, that do get drafted high and they're like millionaires already. Is it like, is it like a weird like dynamic? It could be. Yeah. yeah I, I think it could be. I can't remember real early on in like the professional career, like in, in the lower levels, it's weird, right? Because yeah. like they just became millionaires, yeah. right? And they probably weren't beforehand. So it's weird, right? You know, you have ones that, you know, buy dinner for the group and then you have some who don't buy anything, right? Because yeah. maybe they're, they're not holding any of their money. But, you know, I think as, you know, I played one year in rookie ball, I played one year, or I played half a year at rookie ball and I played one year in a ball. And then I was in double A AA and triple A for the rest of my career. I think when you're in the upper levels, it doesn't really matter what round you were drafted in. Mm. You know, first rounders have a better chance of just getting to the big leagues just because, I mean, obviously they're better talents. They have higher expectations. The, the, the organizations need them to get to the big leagues because, yeah. you know, they paid them a whole bunch of money, but in, in triple A, you have big leaguers who've made $10 million, $15 million. So like there's also, you know, being a first rounder who made a whole bunch of money doesn't really matter at that point. You know, when you're in the lower levels, rookie ball, low A, you've got someone who signed for a thousand bucks, who's getting 50 bucks of meal money a week. And then you also have the guy in the, the same locker who made a million bucks, who's getting $50 a week. You know, they're living differently. You know, one guy gets the king bedroom in the apartment and then the other guy gets maybe the mattress in the, the living room because he can, he can't afford to pay the same amount of rent. Right. So yeah. it's definitely a, a, a different animal, but you know, once you're on the field, you know, yeah, some, right. some guys who don't get drafted as I have more motivation, you know, yeah, it, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's a fact, right. The guys yeah. who don't get the big paychecks, you know, they got to earn that money and they, they want to get, they want to get that. They want to get there faster. They work harder. Right. So yeah, not everybody though. That's why it's just crazy. Just like you talking about it and all of them, all you guys are pros and it's just such a different dynamic. It's just like strange. And like, what do you, tell what do you, oh, you go. I was gonna say, but I tell my kids all the time, my, my, my two children, but I also tell my players that with the Cubs that I work with, I say, life isn't fair, right? Yeah. Everyone doesn't have the same, right? Like we all know that it stinks and I get that, but you make your own reality. You make your own future by, by how hard you want to work, by what you're willing to endure, by what you accept. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. it might not be fair, but you can't say, Hey, it's not fair. Right. We know that. Yeah, yeah definitely. And what do you, what do you think about, I know, I think, 
MLB is like cutting some some of the like rookie rookie leagues and like I think short a. Um, you think that's gonna maybe get the other players like paid more? I th- I have to, I have to be careful here because I work for a major league organization. But yeah, I think there I think there's opportunities to get more pay for players. I, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how much more makes it fair or not fair. I don't know if them if I don't know if paying the players more makes sense or giving them housing makes more sense or getting giving them all their meals. Like I don't know what that looks like because if you pay the players more, then they're going to be asked to actually pay for their apartments, right? Yeah, if you yeah. pay if you don't pay players more and you give them the apartments. Do you give them less food? Like, you know, there's, there's so many things that, you know, go into it. And yes, it is a billion dollar industry, but, you know, I mean, I honestly don't, I don't know enough about the business side of it, but yes, I, I, it, it stinks. I, I would have been devastated if I was in college and I found out the next season, there was only going to be five rounds of the draft or 20 rounds of the draft where there had been 60 and then 50 and then 42, right? Like the numbers, like the game is just getting smaller and smaller and smaller, smaller and just less players are going to have an opportunity to play. And then, you know, you know, who who knows really what's going to happen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, going down to six round was pretty nuts from like 50. Um, But yeah, going back to your career, uh, you get traded to the Astros in, in the Hunter Pence deal. Uh, what, what was that? Was that cool to be like traded for like an all-star? Yeah, it was (laughs) shocking. So in 2011, I had hurt my shoulder and elbow, not like significantly, but I had been, I had been pretty banged up that whole year. I, I was in double a and I I went on the disabled list. I was on the disabled list for about 30 days. I was a starter. I was the opening day starter in double a that season. I came off the disabled list with like a month and a half or two months ago in the season. And they put me back in the bullpen because they were like, we're not going to build you back up to five or six innings, you know, seasons, you know, whatever came back. And I was like throwing like, like actually throwing hard. And like, I, I was throwing, I think 92, 90, like 92, 93, but in the early parts of the season, which is great. But I mean, there weren't radar guns on every wall. Like we, there's so much technology nowadays that you know how hard you're like breathing, uh, like whatever you're doing, <laughs> like whatever. Um, I came back and I was throwing like 94, 98, which is, which in 2011 was hard right now every now everybody's doing it every like everybody can maybe throw 95 like it's crazy it's amazing yeah. how good the athletes are getting um throw 98 again or throwing 98 for like the first time and i i i knew i was doing well obviously like my numbers were getting better everything was getting better and the trade deadline comes up and I, I, there was like rumblings that we were going to make a big trade. The Phillies wanted to bring in, you know, pros, uh, big time major league players because, you know, they, at the time it was like Roy Halladay and Shane Victorino and Carlos Ruiz and Ryan Howard. And like the team was awesome. So like everyone's like, I wonder who they're going to trade. And people were thinking like all because my team at the time had some really good prospects mm-hmm. and everyone was like naming off names. And then we found out, we were in Manchester, New Hampshire, found out that we made a trade for Hunter Pence and like, Oh yeah, a bunch of top, a bunch of top prospects. And everyone's like, Oh, that's cool. Like, I wonder who it is. And then like an hour later, we're at, we're at Applebee's getting food at the bar. And I got a phone call from Ruben Amaro and I got a phone call from the general manager of the, the Houston Astros. I was like, Hey, we just traded for you. We're really excited for you. And on the bottom of the screen, I walk back inside. It says trades for like, three top prospects and a player to be named later. And my name is on the screen. And I'm like, what 
the heck just happened? And everyone on the team was like, you got traded. Come on, man. Like they were so upset that I got traded <laughs> and uh, no, it was really cool. It was, it, yeah. but it, I felt like there was a lot of pressure put on me when I got there, you know, they, a lot of expectations. Um, and I wasn't used to that obviously with my college career being a disappointment for the most part. And, you know, it, it was great. I felt honored to be traded, but like, it was a lot of pressure really quickly. You know, like, mm-hmm you got to make them look good for your trading for you. Otherwise it's kind of like a dud trade, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So then, yeah, in 2013, you're the, you're the closer for the triple a team. And then uh, just tell me like what it was like or, and how did, how did you get called up? Uh, so obviously the Astros at the time weren't, weren't, weren't doing very well, um, but they were, they were doing really poorly at the time of, you know, later in the summer. And I had just, taken over as uh, the closer of the AAA team a couple weeks prior to that. Um, the, the, the closer of the team early in the season had gotten hurt. And um, I, um, we had a day off. I'm sitting in my, my hotel, my apartment at the time, the, um, and on ESPN watching the TV and all of a sudden on the bottom of the screen, I see, you know, Astros closer gets traded to someone. And then like right after that, it was the Astros setup man got designated for assignment. And I called my wife immediately. Well, she was my, yeah, my, my Stephanie called her immediately. And I was like, I said to her, I was like, I don't know what's happening. No one's told me a thing, but the Astros just traded their closer and designated their setup man. I feel like, like, I'm like, I'm like, I haven't gotten the call yet, but like, if I don't get the call in the next like 20 minutes, I'm going to lose my mind. Like, <laughs> I was like, everything was just kind of like falling into place at that moment. And, um, because it was a day off, we were just all, all separate. I was the only one in my apartment. Everyone else was out like all, all messing around. And I got a phone call from the manager that says, pack your bags. You're leaving today. You got a day off in the big leagues that never happens go enjoy Baltimore on your day off. And I was like, what? <laughs> I thought, and I was like, is this, a, I, and even though like I had expected the phone call, I, I was like, is this a joke? Like, you know, like it just didn't seem real. I started laughing on the phone. Like usually people cry or they cheer. They, I don't know what it was, but I just started laughing. Cause that's like the way that I handled it. So yeah. now that was the, the chills, the first chills moment of my life. It was awesome. And you know, got to pitch in Baltimore, got to face some pretty legit guys. My first outing, Adam Jones, uh, Matt Weeders, uh, Chris Davis. That was my opening day three batters that I faced. So yeah. it's pretty cool at the time. They were pretty, yeah. they're, those guys were pretty good back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, that's all. <laughs> that's an awesome story. Just yet, yeah, you know, you get, you get the day off, go, go there and you're, you're in the big leagues next day. <laughs> I got my, I got my first like legit haircut beard lineup. <laughs> like I found like it was the, the hotel had TVs like in the bathroom, like in yeah. the mirror. It was, I mean, the first meal that we had was lobster mac and cheese with filet mignon on one side of the cafeteria. And on the other side was like pizza and like cheeseburgers. Like they had food for everybody, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. they had like the, the bougie food and then the, the, the more like comfortable food. And it was, <laughs> I ate all of it. I gained like the 20 pounds in the rest of the season over there. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then just uh, going back, I know we already kind of talked about like you retiring and stuff like that. And now um, you're currently working for the Cubs, correct? Yep. I work for the Cubs and the rehab pitching coordinator. I also, you know, backfill as a pitching coach and a pitching analyst. I've got kind of three gigs that I do over there. Um, uh, yeah, that's awesome. How, how did yeah, you, it, like, how did that, how did that all come about? 
so once I retired, I became, I actually started my own pitching performance company, pitching performance brands, I pitching and performance. I did it for about a year and a half, almost two years, right immediately after I, I, I retired, I built up a, uh, clientele of well over 200 families, 200 athletes, um, camps, clinics, uh, uh, a lot of fun stuff that we were doing. And, you know, after a while I was getting, it was fatiguing to say the least. It was a lot of work, a lot of hustle and a lot of grinding. Um, it was a lot of hustling day to day. And I got a, I got a random phone call one day from the, the Chicago Cubs bullpen, the pitching coach. And he's like, you know, we'd love to bring you in for an interview for a job. We've got a couple ideas for, you. and I was like, absolutely. I was like, I love it. I absolutely love what I'm doing currently with, you know, the, the pitching program that I was doing, but you know, I've always, I'd always wanted to see what the, the player development side of pro baseball was since I'd been in it for so long. I had, you know, I'd been designated. I, I, I've been traded. I've been called to the, to the big leagues. I had, been taken off the 40 man. I'd been picking up by another team. I'd been released in spring training. I, I, I did a lot of things that I, throughout my career, like I didn't really understand. I didn't know why they happened. You know, mm. it's like, so to get it. And I've been hurt a bunch. I foot surgeries and elbow injuries and shoulder injuries and just a lot of like bumps and bruises. And I was like, man, I'd love to see, you know, the other side, you know, the dark side of, of, of pro baseball. And so, you know, they brought me in for some interviews and, you know, just kind of, they've kind of just kind of, you know, found a, a niche for me with a, a few different things that I can do. And, you know, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I go to the field 50 weeks a year. I'm, I work with players every single day up from the major leagues all the way down to rookie ball. So yeah, it's kind of cool. You know, I get to work on the computer, but I also get to work with players in person. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Now, now I got to ask, since you just played in, in the Olympics, is there any chance of coming out of retirement? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny when, you know, as I was ramping up to go to the Olympics, I was throwing like 87 to 91, which was fantastic, which is, which is good velocity for a guy who's recently, who's been retired for so long, who had yeah. knee surgery eight months prior. Like I was happy with it. Yeah. You know, got to the Olympics. I got up to 94 miles an hour. Like I was throwing hard again. I, I gave up three earned runs and nine innings, not great, but international competition after having not pitched for like a long, long time. Um, I got back and I was like, man, I feel good. Like, I, I think I still got it. Right. Yeah. And nobody calls. Right. Like I, I, I didn't, I didn't make any phone calls. I didn't like actively seek out a, like a, a contract or a, a, or, or a team, but like I had made it pretty clear that like I would play. Right. Yeah. Like kept posting on social media, my videos, like comments here and there kind of, yeah. you know, some subtle hints that like maybe being able to play again and, you know, nobody called, nobody asked. And then I realized that family again, you know, I didn't like traveling as we were trying to start our families, being, being away from my kids for six months at a time, seven months out of a time. And, you know, my wife works full time. My kids are at the age where they're playing basketball and they're growing up and I don't want to miss their practices anymore. So, you know, do I, can I, can I come back and can I play? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, I'm training for a triathlon or a half Ironman right now. So like, can I do things that, can I do things that might be a little bit crazy? Like come back and play. Yeah. Can I, should I probably not, should I leave my family? Definitely not. You know? So, yeah. um, yeah, I still have it, you know, yeah. which is nice. I'm able to say that, like, I think I still have it, but I can walk away now knowing that I still have it as opposed to before where I walked away was like, man, I wish I got another chance the first yeah. time that I retired. But like this time I was like, I did it right. Like I came yeah. back, 
I pitched in the Olympics and I did pretty damn well. So, yeah. you know, now you're Olympian forever. Now I'm an Olympian forever and, and they can't take away from, I guess I'm not an Olympian until I get it like tattooed, like right oh, here, yeah. but you know, one day. <laughs> For sure. Uh, what, what advice would you give to uh, younger players like coming up either like trying to get a, uh, a scholarship? <laughs> uh, Siri was trying to find me a tattoo parlor. <laughs> she, she heard me talk about it. That's pretty fantastic. That's hilarious. So right. advice that I'd give to someone yeah. younger that's coming up through the, yeah. through the ranks or even yeah. prior to being, to going through those. Right. Yeah. Be stubborn. I think that's the, the one of the, the biggest things that like helped me through it. Be stubborn, you know, be proud of who you are, be proud of what you're able to do, but be stubborn. Like, don't let anybody tell you no. I was told no a lot. You know, I had a lot of things taken away from me and a lot of things that, you know, I shouldn't have made it as far as I did after a lot of the bumps in the road that I've had. It might've sounded like a, a pretty uh, easy ride to get to where I did, but you know, I got told no a lot. I had a lot of things taken away from me. I, 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 I got hurt a lot. Um, be stubborn. Don't let, you know, th that, that bump in the road be too big. Uh, be prideful, but just, you know, just like, it's easy to say work hard because life, like I said before, life isn't fair. Right. So, you know, we, we have to accept that, you know, some things just might be hard and some things might not be easy, but if you love it, continue to do it fight for the things that you care for fight for the people you care for you know you know and, and round it all up i have a chain that says family comes first and, and and whether that's about yourself about your parents your sister your wife your girlfriend it doesn't really matter what that means it, it, it you know just care about the things that are that are most important care for the things that you can control that that that, that are going to be there for you you know when the things go badly yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, are you ready for some fun questions? I thought those were all the fun questions. <laughs> um, who, who's like someone you, you didn't get to face that you wanted to face? Someone that I didn't get to face that I wanted to face. Well, oh, man, it's tough. That's a hard one. Um, all right, give me like a couple then. Well, like if we're, are we going like current guys that I would, that I'd like, yeah, like to so, face? Like in your, like that was in your era. Oh, that pit that played when I was playing. I would have loved yeah. to have faced like Derek Jeter. I thought that would have been really cool. I didn't get to face him. Um, you know, played the Yankees a couple of times, just never got never got him in the batter's box. Um, you know, when I I got very lucky when I played, I didn't pitch in many games, but I, I pitched against David Ortiz. I pitched against, you know, Robinson Cano and Adrian Beltre. I I faced yeah. a lot of the really good guys and you know. I loved every second of it. I loved, I loved facing the superstars. I love facing the guys that I knew were trying to take me yard. You know, I, I thought the, those were the, the moments that I, I really thrived at. And, you know, it was the guys who were up there trying to just like hit singles that I struggled with. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I know you're from Connecticut. So have you been to like the New Haven pizza spots? I, I lived there for 19 years. Yeah, of course I just I gotta make, just gotta make sure, you know, sometimes people just don't go. So, all right. So what's yeah. your favorite one? All right. So, Oh man. I mean, I, it's hard to say because growing up, my family went to modern pizza all the time. That was kind of our spot. Cause it wasn't as busy as like Pepe's and Sally's and, and uh, you know, so we went to modern a lot. I liked bar pizza actually right. like, at the restaurant bar yeah, yeah. At, at Yale university that wasn't open early in my time in Connecticut. It was open more like my high school years, 
that was my favorite just because the live was kind of newer but modern was definitely like a family favorite of ours all right that was that was a curveball right there last one what do you like to do in your your free time free time yeah. <laughs> what's that well like I, like i like i said a couple of moments ago i i when I, when we got back from the olympics i, I had to find a, a competitive void to fill yeah. So I, I'm now literally trained. I just bought a, a brand new bike. Like I'm training for a half Ironman in 16 weeks. I, I've me and Ryan LaVarnway, the catcher for team Israel, been a, one of my best friends for like the last five years. We're now training for a 20, uh, 13 mile run, 56 mile bike and a one mile swim. Like we're, that's what we're doing in our free time. No, but so that, that's kind of what I do in the like early mornings and late at nights. But in my free time, I literally, we spend all of our time with our kids, you know, like, I went to, I was at basketball practice with my six-year-old last night for an hour and a half. Like it was a blast. You know, I, I, it's funny when people talk to us about like, what do you, what do you guys do? And I said, we live for our kids, you know, like that's would we like to do other stuff. Absolutely. What would we do? I have no idea. Cause you know, I'm, we're, I think pandemic pandemic wise, like we're thrilled to have kids. I know some families are not as, as fortunate as us or, or people aren't as, as fortunate as us to have kids, but you know, I'm, I'm blessed that we have them to keep us busy, you know, to, yeah. to keep us on our toes. Are they pains in the butt? Yeah. They're, they're pains. The kids are pains. They're awful, but they keep us busy and they keep us, you know, on, on our toes. And it's, and that's my hobbies. They're my hobbies. They're my passion. They're my, <laughs> they're everything. Are, do you have them playing baseball yet? This is a point of contention in my household. Um, do I want them to play baseball? Kind of. Do I want to be their coach? Absolutely not. And I'm afraid that as long as they play baseball, I'm going to be asked to help out yeah, yeah, yeah. and coach them. And I want them to play because they want to play baseball. But my kids right now, they play basketball, they play soccer, and they swim. And they love it. They, they, my six and a half year old on a swim team loves it. He plays basketball every season of the year, loves it. And soccer just for hand-eye court, just for like foot and running coordination. Um, my other one's still too young to be competitive, but mm-hmm. they want to play baseball. I'll let them play it when they're ready. You know, I'm not going to push them. You know, I'm not going to force them to play baseball. Yeah. Do I want them to play? Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I feel, I, I feel you on, once again, the team, they're going to be like, oh, your dad was in the middle. Oh, we got to <sighs> <gotta> get him. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and yesterday at basketball practice, you know, the 10 year old team came in and, you know, I recognized one of the dads on the team. He played about 14 years in the big leagues. And I saw him just sitting quietly on the sideline, like not helping with the basketball practice. And I'm like, I want that role. Like I just sit back, but everyone so far has asked me to to help coach and I love it. I want to do it. I'm very outgoing and I'm very, you know, I'd like to be, you know, out there, but I might have to start like sitting back and letting everyone else do it, but I don't want to, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you. Well, I appreciate you coming on and uh, could you let the listeners know where they can follow you on social media? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter uh, at Josh side 14 or at Josh underscore 14 at Josh underscore side 14 or Instagram at Josh side 28. I do not have TikTok. I do not have uh, Twitch or anything like that, <laughs> but no, I'm on, on Twitter and Instagram. I, and, you know, just, just out here having some fun, you know, thanks so much for having me on. It's, it's it, I love doing this kind of stuff. It's, yeah. it's, it, it, you know, it's a blast. And, uh, you know, yeah. if, it, it, if anybody learns anything from today, don't give up, have some fun. Right. And, you know, and, and just ride the wave. Yeah, for sure. How to get you on from being from Connecticut. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. This episode has been brought to you by BUSR.com. 
Go check it out to get your free $100 bet when you deposit $100 at busr.com slash Paul. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.